0: the consequences of our actions welcome to the texas take the number one political podcast in the great state i'm scott braddock editor at quorum and reporting for duty is jeremy wallace at houston chronicle and houston chronicle.com how are you sir
1: Uh, Doing all right, despite so many nights of late-night coverage of this Texas legislature.
0: Oh, some of these nights are ending at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning. You're lucky if they end at closer to 10 or 11, something like that. And it's just a flurry of activity. There's so much going on, and we're going to get to things happening in the legislative process. There are only four days remaining in this special session. This is the third special session, and it's starting to look more like there could be a fourth special session they could still be in special sessions at christmas jeremy they could still be in special session next year in january remember at one point governor abbott had said something like certain bills were worth it to keep going all the way to the next election which at the time sounded like hyperbole but at this point i'm starting to think maybe he actually meant that what does it really look like when the governor of texas loses all control at the capitol i'll 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 tell you i'll point right at the building right now and say It's this. It's the permanent, nonstop, eternal legislative session. Um, We'll get to all of that coming up. But I want to slow down a little bit because this is the last show of this special session. And so I kind of want to take stock of where we are with some of the policies that have either been passed or are potentially going to pass as we go uh, through these last few days of this special, potentially into the next one. And I want to start with and we haven't talked about this a whole lot. We've we've reported on it, of course, at QuorumReport.com, HoustonChronicle.com, and we've talked about it a bit on the show. But this is the third or fourth time they've tried to pass this thing, this ban on transgender youth in UIL sports in Texas. It's been very contentious. It's nasty. And we're talking about something that affects tiny little group of people right and nobody disputes that when we talk about transgender students we're talking about uh, 0.00025 of the population something like that someone made the point to me that because we're talking about such a small group of people that's what makes it extra disgusting because they can't stand up for themselves right they don't have any real political power so it has to come from somewhere else it has to come from the people who say they are either lgbtq or people who are allies of those folks And in a lot of cases you're talking about the allies and those people have included uh, big tech companies and others who have stepped forward to say this is discriminatory and we don't like this now republicans say what they say that this is about protecting young girls it sounds a lot like the arguments we heard on the transgender bathroom bill back in 2017 we have to protect what did they say at that time they said we have to protect women from men who are going into women's rooms and assaulting them which of course at the time there were no cases of that, or at least nothing widespread. And it doesn't mean that it never, ever happened, but, um, but, but we didn't see transgender people going into restrooms and assaulting people. It just was not happening. Right. So I'm thinking about this more long-term because again, this is a flurry of activity. We see all these bills passing yesterday in the Texas house. It was a nine hour debate. And I will probably get some feedback on this from people who will probably say that I should, uh, you know, feature more of what was said in that debate. I think that highlighting what I'm about to highlight makes the point that this is something that could last into the years to come and into generations to come. So I was listening intently to all of this yesterday, and it went until, like I say, 11 o'clock or whatever last night. Actually, this wrapped up a little earlier, maybe around eight thirty, nine 9 o'clock. But in the midst of this debate, Representative Ann Johnson, who's a freshman Democrat from Houston, she talked about growing up as a young person who knew at some point, and she said she didn't even realize or know at what age she knew that she was gay, but at some point she figured it out. And this was in the seventies, right? When, when she came of age and started to realize this about herself, she said that, um, and this is at the front microphone of the Texas house with all the Republicans and Democrats listening. She said that when she in the seventies would hear people talk about being gay as something that was sinful and wrong that gave her the idea about herself that there was something wrong with her so it was a very intimate moment listen to this
2: but i remember sitting on my parents bed at the edge of it and i was looking up at an old but then was new television that was a big box and it was up on top of an armoire I was in the room by myself, and I remember seeing a gentleman who was incredibly flamboyant and didn't look like anybody I had ever met. I later learned that that was Harvey Milk, but there was another woman who spoke, And she looked like all the ladies that I saw on Sundays when I went to church. And she said that that flamboyant man was going to go to hell.
0: I find this fascinating, Jeremy. She says that Harvey Milk, who if people are listening, they don't know who that is. He was uh, on the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. Is it still uh, out there that it's the unified government of the city and county of San Francisco? It's this huge thing, really impressive. Have you ever uh, stood in front of San Francisco City Hall? It looks like a state capitol. It's really impressive. And Harvey Milk, who was on the board of supervisors and, you know, in California, they call everything something different. It was basically like a county commissioner, uh, Harvey Milk was, uh, a gay man who was an activist, uh, who was assassinated by a fellow supervisor, one of the other government officials there in San Francisco, along with, uh, Mayor Moscone at the time. And do you know when the mayor and Harvey Milk were assassinated, you know, who ascended to the mayor's office in San Francisco?
1: It would be Diane Feinstein.
0: That's right. The longtime senior senator from California, right? So if you think about that time in history, if you're a kid growing up in Texas and you see this flamboyant guy in San Francisco who's not, who doesn't look anything like you or anything like the people you know, but there's this lady who's a beauty queen from Oklahoma who's on television all the time railing against the gays. Who, who was she talking about? She didn't use the name in the speech. Johnson didn't. But of course, she's talking about Anita Bryant at the time in the seventies was the culture warrior on this issue. She fought about, uh, you know, gay rights uh, against gay rights in Florida and in uh, California uh, before she got involved in fighting against gay people. Anita Bryant was known for being, you know, a, a pitch woman for orange juice. Yep. Right. I mean, th- this was someone who was famous for doing ads for orange juice suddenly jumps in to this fray and you heard Johnson say, that little girls like her were gonna go to hell, according to this woman, she's not exaggerating. This is what one of those interviews with Bryant sounded like in the 1970s. From teaching her children. Anita, you're a person with a, a rather sizable investment in your career. Why are you taking this stand now and perhaps jeopardizing that?
2: According to the word of God, it's an abomination. Uh, to practice homosexuality. And the same is true for, like, Archbishop Carroll, who took the stand that he would go to jail rather than to uh, hire known homosexuals into their schools. And our pastor said that he would do the same and would even burn the school rather than allow them to be taught the homosexuals. And uh, we feel as strongly.
0: So, as a little girl listening to that, this is what Johnson thought about herself.
2: She said that women who liked other women would go to hell. That they were a danger to society. And I knew I was one of them. And that there was something wrong with me.
0: And that that discussion of gay people going to hell, that she was seeing play out publicly, that kept her from having private conversations with her own parents.
2: I later remember writing in the car with my mom down, Broadway. I grew up by Hobby Airport. It was old enough that I didn't have a seatbelt on. And I absolutely loved my mother, still love her. And we were about halfway down the road and I probably had about 10 minutes before we got home. And I thought, I need to talk to my mama about the lady I saw on TV, and I thought as a young child that if I said anything, I would not be loved. That was the moment I went in the closet.
0: So Jeremy, she said that for young trans kids who are listening to this debate now about how they should not be able to play on the sports team that they'd like to play on, the one that uh, you know matches their gender identity, she's saying that those kids are getting the same idea today, right now. This isn't the 70s, this is 2021, and you have these uh, kids who are in a situation where they don't even really understand what's going on with their own body the way she didn't understand what was happening with herself in the 70s. And Johnson said, look, there are Republicans who have said privately to her, well, that was wrong in the 70s. This is a different issue. She's saying, no, no, I want you all to consider just the idea, you know, just the possibility that you're doing the same exact thing to kids who are watching us have this debate right now today.
1: Yeah. and And, and this isn't just about the kids playing sports. That's the thing. It's like this is affecting all people who are transgender right now. Like hearing this debate and how they're being characterized, you know, is the issue. You know, it like and, and granted, you know, the, the the sports part of it is important too. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, but sure. this has much broader implications in the people who are hearing this stuff. It's sending a message to them, you know, that you just kind of wonder, like, how how do they assess that and still feel like they are – like a Texan, like the rest of us, have all the same rights. You know, all all important questions as you're listening to this whole debate.
0: Yeah. So the long term effects of that will play out if this legislation passes. One of the um, points that was made during the debate over and over again was the legislation doesn't even necessarily have to pass for these ugly conversations to have been had, and then for that to have that effect on those kids. Because remember those fights during the 70s. There were different results in different places about how things played out, right? And and about how they played out over the long period of time. Um, There was another piece of legislation passed this year. And on this point, there's a lot of similarity. It's something that had to be attempted more than once, right? There was a critical race theory bill that was passed during the regular session of the legislature. And then Governor Abbott said that wasn't sufficient. They needed to do more on that. conservatives have come up with this idea that critical race theory is destroying the country and it's sort of reverse racism, right? And you hear about it on Fox News Channel and some talk radio and it's all over the internet uh, on right-wing websites and more. And a lot of these activists who support former President Trump want to see a ban on critical race theory. But none of these bills that they passed really do that. Critical race theory is an obscure thing that isn't taught, as far as I can tell, in any public school anywhere. It's not really taught almost anywhere in colleges and universities. You might have somebody come and lecture about this maybe, you know, at, at UT, not even once a year, maybe once every few years that might happen. One of the Republicans who was supporting this told me about a speech that was given by someone who promotes critical race theory that it happened at UT, but it was only one time. And they admitted <laughs> that this is nothing mainstream that's happening at colleges and universities or at our public schools either so what these bills end up actually doing is sort of micromanaging what teachers can talk about in schools and so there are consequences for having that policy in place here's the prime example and this was a big national story this week nbc news was able to uncover some secretly recorded audio of a a teacher training in north texas in Southlake, and when you hear it it's a little shocking jeremy Because one of the things that was emphasized in the critical race theory debate was that anytime something is said to be controversial, that the teacher has to present both sides of it. And so in this audio, what you hear is teachers being told that when they teach about the Holocaust, if they present kids with a book about the Holocaust, if there's any reading material about that, that, they have to give them something that is the opposite view of one of the most horrific moments in world history of this genocide. If, if you present facts on that, then you have to present a different view. And you can hear the teachers just sounding disgusted and shocked by this. As you go
2: through, just try to remember the concepts of 3979 and make sure that if if, if you have a book on the Holocaust, that you have one that has opposing, that has other. How do it. you oppose the what? Holocaust? I
0: what? Believe me, that's come up. Now, one of the books that was mentioned in that uh, in that training uh, is called Number the Stars, which has been taught in uh, public schools here in Texas and elsewhere. In fact, in lots of countries, I think 30 countries around the world. Um, And it is the story of a Jewish family escaping during the Holocaust is written by uh, Lois Lowry. And she was on CNN and she reacted to hearing this discussion that's happening in Texas.
3: You know, at first I chuckled. It seemed silly, uh, but the more I thought about it, I realized it wasn't laughable. <clears throat> it was ignorant, and ignorant can, ignorance so easily morphs into evil. One of the reasons kids love this book, and it's been in schools in the United States for 32 years, and it's in 28 other countries for all that time. And one of the reasons kids love this book is because Good triumphs over bad, and kids want to hear that that happens. Uh, I recently did an interview with a town in Italy in which they asked whether a writer for kids feels a sense of responsibility. And I said, my responsibility is to be honest and to be optimistic. How can you come up with an opposing perspective where evil triumphs over good there is no opposing perspective
0: to a book uh, about the Holocaust. It's really remarkable that this is even happening, but I, I think a couple of things are worth saying on this, Jeremy. One is this is not the, the, the way that curriculum in Texas is supposed to be dictated to the schools. At least this is not the way we have ever done it before. Um, it's usually the state, but we have a state board of education for a reason. Now, over the years, the legislature has tried to take more and more power from the State Board of Education. That's just the way that 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 works. But they are elected, uh, like the legislators are, to do certain things. One of those is come up with the curriculum for what will be taught in Texas public schools and for years. And it always made me feel sort of dirty, like I needed to take a shower after covering any of this stuff, covering the uh, debates at the State Board of Education, especially in the last 15 years or so. It's always a culture war thing. A lot of the culture war stuff has now shifted to the legislature because they want to make a lot of these decisions. I saw where some Republicans after this story came out about what's happening at Southlake, a lot of Republicans were saying, well, that's not in the legislation. You know, we didn't tell them they have to, uh, we didn't tell the schools they have to come up with some alternative view to the Holocaust, but this is the natural consequence of trying to micromanage what's happening in the classroom, right? When the, when the teachers and the administrators hear these discussions and they're going through what is some pretty complex legislation, That is dictating, you know, to these teachers, what they have to say and what they have to do when they're teaching these history lessons makes it that much more complicated for them. And it hasn't just been in North Texas either, right?
1: No, absolutely. If you heard down in Katy, right, there was a, you know, a whole protest about, you know, this book called The New Kid by Jerry Craft. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, J- Jerry Craft writes for a lot of books about, uh, you know, kids adjusting to new schools and like, you know, being different in a school setting. Uh, and that triggered a parent to say, oh, wait, no, the, the lead character is black. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, you know, making it sound like, you know, he's being oppressed by, you know, you know people who happen to be white, you know, and so that got the book pulled. From the shelves, and the, a visit from the author was canceled, or at least it ended up being postponed. But it was canceled at first. They now re, reinstated the book, and you know uh, the author is going to do the the visit after all. But you see the confusion it's creating, right? This whole discussion has, you know, even good, well-meaning educators wondering what the heck they are looking at. So you end up with a situation where each school district is trying to do like their own thing, live up to the law, but you mm-hmm. can see the confusion happening. You see it in Southlake, you see it in Katy. You're seeing it in all the school districts where you have, you know, people you know not understanding am I supposed to ban this book? Am I supposed to have an an alternate Book to whatever mm-hmm. Jerry Craft has written. <laughs> is that really what we're supposed to be doing right now? But the discussion in the legislature led us here. You heard it in the in the debates. Yes. Like if if teachers and educators were listening to it, at one point you thought, uh, like, well, I can't teach you know the Birmingham letter, letters you know, from MLK, right? Mm-hmm. Or can I? I'm confused. What can I do? And that is where the legislature has kind of left the entire state right now because debate has been just absolutely confusing to most Texans, I would think.
0: One of the other things that has been confusing to some folks is this uh, fact that Republicans are now pushing policies that business, and particularly big business, is very unhappy with in the state. Um, And this has been sort of percolating, Jeremy, but I think, and you never know what the issue is going to be that really causes a lot of people to twist off and becomes um, sort of a uh, an inflection point where where you know all of a sudden you have groups that used to be aligned suddenly saying, wait, 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 what are we doing here? Um, you may have seen Texans for Lawsuit Reform, which is one of the largest uh, political contributors to Republicans in this state. They have been prolific, tens of millions of dollars over the years. Um, Texas Association of Business, manufacturers, big businesses like Walmart and others, came out strongly against what Governor Abbott decided the legislature should now address, which is telling private employers that they cannot require their employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Now, this is Abbott capitulating to his Republican challengers for his office. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, The governor's office, and I'm old enough to remember, you often say back in the olden days. Back in the olden days of like two weeks ago, Abbott's office was saying that government should not tell businesses how to run their businesses, right? When it, when it came to this issue. And then just this past week, he said, no, actually here's an executive order that, uh, bans entities, including private businesses from requiring vaccines. And he said he wanted the legislature to pass a bill about that. So a bunch of these business groups and, privately, a lot of Republican legislators said, wait a minute, we're telling businesses what they're going to do in Texas? Um, There are two pieces of legislation that I saw that were filed on this, and this is with four days to go in the legislative session, um, and some hearings were held this week on it. And in the Senate, it is our man, Senator Brian Hughes, carrying this legislation, the State Affairs Committee, he was the chairman there. And all this led to a very interesting exchange with a Democrat uh, by the name of Beverly Powell, who's from Fort Worth. And listen to this, this is from the hearing, and uh, Powell is asking Hughes about what the legislation would do, how it would be enforced, you guessed it, through civil lawsuits Just like so many of these other pieces of legislation. Basically, it amounts to a Democrat cautioning a Republican about messing with private business.
2: Can you foresee a day that um, great Texas companies who've been doing business here for a long time say, gee, it's just not worth it?
4: Well, we always have to think about that. As you know, what we've seen over the last few decades is businesses are moving here in droves. They're choosing to come here because of our workforce and our climate and because of freedom. And uh, we're glad. We hope they keep doing that. But yes, ma'am, we always have to think about that.
0: Okay.
2: Is there any... Uh... And when I
4: said climate, I meant business climate. I didn't mean August climate. But go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry.
2: Is there any sense in which you have a thought that this might create a, a precedent of uh, government overreach into privately owned businesses?
4: You we're, know, we are constantly I
2: think- talking about uh, big government. And this feels like the heart of big government to
4: me. I think we're, Senator, respect, I, I respectfully, I think we're wise to think about that. Senator Hall talked about that. So if we think about employment practices, so we begin with the concept in Texas of employment at will, right? Say I work for you, and if, we don't, if I don't have a contract, I can leave, I can leave your employment at any time. You can fire me at any time for any reason or no reason except... We have a list of reasons that you can't fire someone based on, right? Whistleblower, age, sex, religion, race. And so we've crossed that Rubicon a long time ago, but we want to be careful every time we expand it. I'm with you. We've got to be real careful. And so we have to ask ourselves, is this a big enough deal to further erode that, we, we, you know, we're, we're, we'll take a vote on it and see. But I think most people that we've heard from feel like this is a big enough deal. But I'm with you; we shouldn't do this lightly. It, it's whenever we mess with private business, it, it's it's a big deal. I agree with you.
0: Now he's not with her. They did hold a vote on that, and it passed with the Republicans voting for it. And you have a Democrat there saying the words "government." overreach. That's usually Republicans who would be saying that about something that Democrats are trying to do. And Jeremy, I wondered what the chattering class of the uh, sort of uh, conservative thought leaders of the state would be saying about this. And you know, one of the ways I take that temperature is to turn on conservative talk radio. And I saw Mark Davis from 660 AM, the answer up in DFW was uh, promoting the fact that he was going to be on CNN. And in fact, he was explaining to his audience why he was going on CNN because the conservative audience thinks that CNN is all a bunch of liberals and he shouldn't go talk to them. But Davis was saying, hey, listen, how many times do we as conservatives sit here and say, look, they've got all these liberals on MSNBC and liberals are on uh, you know, on on CNN and uh, we don't go there. He says, well, I'm a conservative. I'll go there and tell them what you know we think about these things. I thought maybe Davis was going to be saying that Abbott and the Republicans in the legislature are right to tell... The businesses that they can't require people to get vaccinated. But he was not saying that at all. Here's Mark on the air with Chris Cuomo on CNN talking about his opposition to what Abbott is doing.
5: Well, it it calls to mind a certain consistency in the conservative mindset of what government's role should be in business decision making. And to my mind, that that role is as little as possible. That means that Joe Biden is wrong to tell companies that you must have a vaccine mandate and governors from Abbott to DeSantis, whom I also love, uh, are wrong to tell companies that they cannot. I am a business and economic liberty guy as much as I am an individual liberty guy. People have the right to get the shot or not, and businesses have the right to have whatever vaccine policies they please. So let's get to
0: the point. Cuomo then asked uh, Mark Davis about why Abbott made a quick about face on this. Why did he do this 180? Two days ago, Abbott just tweeted, in Texas,
5: it is businesses, not government. Um, Why the change? Well, I I can't read minds, but there there are two theories, and I'll bet it's a combination of both. The easy one that a lot of people pay attention to is a there's a rightward pivot perceived from Governor Abbott as a result of two campaigns, one by Allen West, the other by former state senator Don Huffines, running to the right of him. And they view as their goal to convince millions of Texas voters who gladly voted for Abbott four years ago that he is now suddenly insufficiently conservative. That's a high mountain to climb, but they're coming at him every day. Uh, so politics and pivoting, that that's one theory. The other one, though, is that in the coverage that you guys have done and everybody else has done the southwest work stoppage the occasional hospital that's having a shutdown cuz 10 20% of their healthcare workers are protesting the the the, the vax mandate there's serious concern That the mandates themselves, well meaning though they may be, and there's debate over that, may be causing this backlash and and this serious uh, full on revolt that may bring portions of an already fragile economy to its knees, creating, uh, I believe, a valid debate over whether the mandates are in some way counterintuitive. If our goal is to get more people vaccinated
0: on the southwest stoppage uh, you know they had what a thousand flights that they canceled last weekend there was all this speculation among not just conservative activists but also some office holders uh, congressman chip roy was blasting southwest on his twitter feed which i found interesting we have gone into new territory i think when republican office holders from texas are blasting Texas employers about the way they're handling their business. But it was all this speculation, Jeremy, yeah. that it was that it was because people didn't want to get vaccinated that that's how why they were having to cancel flights. But Southwest didn't say anything like that. They said they had some weather issues and a few other things that were causing them problems. Usually in this state, people would rally behind the employer and say I hope that they do well. I hope they get past whatever this problem is. Instead, they were all piling on them. So why are they doing that? You heard Davis say this. He said that part of it has to do with these challenges from Abbott's right. And I saw where somebody had said at this point, Abbott seems like a ping pong ball. He's a, he's a random policy generator. Is that whatever is going on right now at this moment, he's going with that. Someone who has been, I think, you know, over the years previously would have rightly been called a principled conservative, somebody who was pretty conservative all throughout. And now, now all of a sudden he's all over the map. Why? Because he's getting challenges right from different places.
1: Yeah, and, and there's and there's, a, and there's a magic word that was used in that interview, Desantis. Yeah. That's a magic word to explain a lot of what we're seeing happen here too. Uh it's not it, it was you know I, as having been a former Florida reporter, I still get a lot of information out of Florida at the same time I'm getting from Texas. My Twitter feed is a, a Florida Texas you know Rumble most days. Mm-hmm. But you know, but it's interesting so Abbott had his policy out, then you know it wasn't more than 48 hours a, you know later that DeSantis was talking about doing the exact same thing so he could trigger a lawsuit. From the biden administration so he could fight over this you see they're in each other's heads right now in terms of wanting to be the standard bearer for what it means to be a conservative governor mm-hmm. in this era and it feels like a competition you know like oh well, well DeSantis started threatening you know businesses well Abbott went ahead and put the executive order out so he got ahead of DeSantis on this one and I'm sure they're very happy about it so in some ways it's you know I would Mark Davis is right there's you know there's two reasons going on here but I I think there's like a three front war Abbott's Mm -hmm. trying to fight he's trying to fight Huffines and West on one side he's trying to fight Beto and the Democrats in the middle at some point he's trying to take some shots but then he's fighting Ron DeSantis too in terms of this more global discussion about who is a conservative, you know, not just for a potential presidential run, right. but think if Trump were to run again, like he's making it sound like he's gonna, and he were to win, you know, Abbott immediately becomes a guy who could get a job in there, right? right. It's like, what would he be up for? And it's like, and he wants to make sure he's in that conversation, right? Even if you say no to everything, you want to be in the conversation. And Absolutely. Abbott's making sure he's in that conversation right now.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Huffines and West. Uh, Huffines got the endorsement of one of the founding fathers of the Tea Party, is the way I would say it, uh, former Texas Congressman Ron Paul. You know, I grew up in uh, Ron Paul's district down in Wharton okay. County. He was our, he was our congressman. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and, and, you know, it was, it was amazing. When Ron Paul started running for president, he ran a few times, right? At least twice, yes. a couple times. Um, and people around the country started to be exposed to Ron Paul. I remember thinking like we always knew about Dr. Paul and I, th- this guy and who he, I mean, if nothing else is consistent, but I mean, you, you talk about what would have been the original Q and kind of stuff, right? I mean, the kind of things that ended up in his newsletters and the kind of things his supporters would say when I was working in Houston as a, as a radio reporter, often the Ron Paul crowd before we even heard of something called the tea party. His supporters would show up at stuff and be saying all this same exact stuff. So Ron Paul endorses Don Huffines over Greg Abbott for governor.
4: Don is a consistent warrior for liberty who has been in this fight for years. He knows the role of government isn't to run our lives, but protect our God-given rights.
0: So on that side, you have Ron Paul Huffines, Alan West, who... Uh, over the weekend said that he had contracted uh, COVID-19 related pneumonia, right? Went to the hospital and he said it only steeled his resolve that there should be no vaccine mandates. And then on the other side of it, you mentioned Beto O'Rourke, right? And Abbott seems to be taking that potential challenge at least somewhat seriously. Although I would say in looking at the uh, video advertisement that he put out, he didn't spend any of that money on it uh, just yet. This was a little bit of what that... Sounded like there's a video where it looks like a cartoon. What what kind of animation is it? It's a computer animation of a guy in a car, and he's got a Beto O'Rourke uh, for Governor a bumper sticker on the back of the car, and he's listening to the radio, and he starts to turn the dial on the radio and hears Beto O'Rourke saying all this stuff. <laughs> So knock it down. Hell yes,
4: we're gonna take your AR-15, your
5: AK forty-seven. I agree that we need a single pair system. Green New Deal. I haven't seen anything that
0: could, at its worst, lead uh... to extinction. The car the car goes over a cliff and explodes. That's the you know the implication. Texas would be in a lot of trouble with uh, Beto behind the wheel. Um, here you have Abbott arguing that Beto is too far left. He's too liberal. Um, I don't hear him arguing though that Huffins and West any of those people are too extreme on the other side. Right? Abbott wants to be seen as you know very very conservative. Part of that, I guess, is because. The beto challenge isn't real just yet right there's no at least for as far as who's actually announced for governor there's really no incentive for abbott to come back to the middle because none of the people actually running against him are making arguments from anything except from the far right
1: yeah and 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 i'm so confused if like was was governor abbott's team Watching like Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons <laughs> from the old days because it yeah. feels like it was inspired. By it. If, you, if you want to catch the video, I have it at houstonchronicle.com, it's, yeah. it's, it's on my story on there, uh, so you can look it up. But if you look at the whole time, I was just thinking I was waiting for the Roadrunner to blast by the car or something. It was that kind of technology.
0: Well, yeah, because the uh, the car does take a dive off of a cliff that looks yeah. like every scene from the Roadrunner. Absolutely, Road <laughs> absolutely. It yeah. should have been. It should have said there should have been a box that said Acme with dynamite
1: yeah it seems like they should have to pay you know the the the, the, you know was it who the chuck jones that wrote all those so Mm -hmm. yeah i think he should get some credits for this
0: classic stuff all right that's enough show for this week by the time we talk to you again the legislature might not be in session but there's no guarantee of that, dear listener. So keep up with everything that's going on at quorumreport.com and HoustonChronicle.com. If you enjoyed this show, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Every you listen to your favorite podcast. Give us the best rating that you can. We appreciate it. And we will see you next time.